We are Community Radio, Kilkenny City, 88.7 FM. Community Radio, Kilkenny City. Your local voice on the World Wide Web. This afternoon's Kilkenny today. Lovely to be with you again, as per usual, on the Friday. And uh, Morris O'Connor here, in case yeah, you don't know by now, but I presume you probably do know who's on which days on Kilkenny today. Here on Kilkenny uh, today, 88.7 FM, Community Radio, sorry, Community Radio, Kilkenny City, of course, 88.7 FM or kc.ie. Um, you may have been wondering, all right, what happened to Kjol Sikishtin um, earlier on for the last hour, but we were asked to broadcast, this being Charities Week, we were asked to broadcast that special Charities Week um, programme um, by Pobble. And uh, as was mentioned at the end of that show, if you heard, it was produced by uh, one of our sister community radio stations, Connemara Community Radio. And uh, the person doing most of the talking in that was TJ Flanagan, who is the CEO of the Irish Cooperative Organisation Society, ICOS. And you can find out more about uh, ICOS at icos.ie. So that was a special programme just for this week, uh, being Charities Week, and lots of events being organised by the Charities Regulatory Authority, the Charities Institute Ireland, the Wheel, Carmichael Centre, and lots of other um, charity coordination and support and uh, enablement bodies over this particular week. Anyway, that's all um, coming to an end, I suppose, right now, given the time it is on a Friday, this 20th of November. Um, later on on today's show, we're going to be hearing from Tommy Dowling and Eva Anderson from Young Irish Filmmakers about a series of masterclass workshops that they're having uh, between now and Christmas, um, all targeted at young people who have an interest in getting involved in um, theatre or film script writing and production and various things like that. Um, so we'll be hearing from Tommy and Eva towards the end of the show. Um, we'll also be hearing um, from Kathleen Chadda, who we were hoping to talk to on Tuesday last on the show, but we weren't able to get through to her. But uh, Kathleen will be joining us today and uh, we'll be talking about Kathleen's concerns on a campaign she's running about the uh, wanting to get the Parole Act um, implemented. Uh, and I'm sure she is, well, she, I know she's a very particular personal interest in that. I think uh, her name is probably very well known to a lot of listeners um, because she tragically uh, had her ex-husband had killed her two sons in uh, 2013 and um, is uh, currently in jail to be offered parole at some point perhaps and therefore Kathleen has a very very strong and deep personal interest in the ins and outs of how the Parole Act, the latest Parole Act, is due to work. And I think it hasn't been put into operation yet, and that's her particular concern. So we'll be hearing from Kathleen later in the show. We'll also be uh, taking the weather. Um, no parish news again today, as, as usual. I think you're probably well aware of that by now. We will be bringing it to you, though, as soon as we can, and as soon as we have any sign of any activity resuming in the churches around them, the city where we'll be able to tell you about uh, we'll have a couple of ad breaks as usual to pay the bills, um, but before uh, we kick off on all of that, I'm delighted to be joined on the line by Ruth Morrow, who's a respiratory nurse specialist with the Asthma Society of Ireland. And uh, the Asthma Society has recently launched a winter wellness guide for asthma and COPD patients. So good afternoon, Ruth, and welcome. Good afternoon, Morris. Thank you for having us on your show. 
You're very, very welcome indeed. Um, Ruth, we'll, we'll get on to the, the details of the Winter Wellness Guide in, in just a couple of minutes. And I know there's tips for people with asthma and COPD as to how to stay well that you've put together. But just before we get on to that, um, can we talk a little bit about just, um, I suppose, asthma in particular um, and, and its prevalence in, in Ireland? We hear, we hear quite a lot and an increasing amount of, of people with asthma. Yes, there are approximately 200,000 people with asthma in Ireland and a similar number with COPD. And I suppose one of the reasons why there's such an increase, or there hasn't really been much of an increase in the last couple of years, but I suppose we are getting better at diagnosing it, um, you know, diagnosing it earlier rather than waiting for months, maybe before we make a diagnosis. So I suppose it always has been there. Um, mm. And we'll say we are getting better at diagnosing it. But also, of course, there are other contributory factors as well, smoking being one of them. Um, if you are a smoker, you're more at risk. If you're obese, you're more at risk. Um, our, air, our houses are airtight, so there's not much air circulating around them and central heating and all that. That has an impact as well. And then there's other things like, which we've no really influence overall, things like um, pollen counts and dust mite, which is very hard to control in that. Yeah, yeah. I must talk to you maybe some other time. Um, we 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 used we used to have a show recently until recently um, all about sustainability and energy efficiency and environmental uh, issues and stuff. And that whole question of the relationship between new housing and air tightness and uh, active or other kind of forms of ventilation um, probably has a big influence and overlap with what you're involved in yourself. And unfortunately, we'll have to leave that for another day. Um, interesting and all as it might be. Um, but just in relation to the, the diagnosis and stuff, I know that um, a lot of us would have, you know, would hear and be aware of children getting diagnosed with asthma and or probably not COPD, but asthma anyway. As you, you mentioned, better diagnosis and uh, diagnostic techniques coming along. But um, there are like, kind of uh, diagnos diagnoses of people with asthma late into their adult life, aren't there? Oh, there are indeed, yes. You can develop asthma at any age from two upwards. 99 or even 100 and, you know it doesn't matter what age you are you can diagnose be diagnosed with asthma at any stage depending on whatever the trigger factors are usually when it's in older people over 40 um, it tends to be more kind of the cold air the exercise smoking and that will be the main triggers for it whereas the younger person it may be more allergic type asthma where you have the pollen counts and uh, the dust mites they will be the main triggers there but as I say everybody is individual and everybody has different triggers that actually cause their asthma yeah, I suppose the cold air you could understand coming into the winter. So I suppose it flares up. Um, yeah. Whatever exercise, then I suppose there's different passions and people have different um, levels of exercise that they take. Smoking, I would have thought, is generally on in the older population. So maybe that's reducing as a factor. Yeah, this was the smoking thing. As well, it's hard to know what's the impact of the smoking ban. We don't really know that yet. Whether it's had much of an impact on the development of any respiratory disease. Um, in terms of passive smoking, because now obviously we're not all going into smoky environments, so it should, you would imagine, it should have a, have an impact, a positive impact on these conditions. But as I say, yeah. you know, the other thing I suppose with the over 40s is there is more of a, it doesn't always have to be genetic as well. It's usually in the younger age group as well where the genetics come into play, where you, you know, the first degree relative that is asthma. So a brother, sister, mother, or father, so you are more risk of getting asthma yourself then. Of course, that's not the case in the over 40s. 
Yeah. And just on the smoking thing again, just before we move on to the, the winter wellness campaign, Ruth, um, I'm, I'm curious about it. You'll be well aware, as, as I am, that there's a huge upsurge in the amount of vaping going on. On whether vaping has an influence on incidence or triggers uh, for, for asthma? Uh, something we don't really know yet, to be honest, because it's, so, it's still relatively new. And um, we do know that there are kind of new respiratory conditions being diagnosed as a result of vaping. So it's not something that we would advocate as an alternative to smoking. You know, I mean, there is services out there in the local hospitals and the HSE quit line to help you stop smoking. So obviously stopping smoking is the key thing, not to switch to something else. Yeah, yeah. I'm sure if there's anybody listening, they, they might think twice then about vaping or to try and see could they come up with or pursue a different way of weaning themselves off the, the deadly cigarettes. Anyway, anyway, let's uh, let's move on to the, the winter wellness campaign for, for people with asthma and, and COPD. Very timely, obviously, and uh, uh, to be putting out this kind of advice. So the, you, have, you have five tips um, there in the, in the campaign and you can tell us where about them later on, but just uh, run run us through them, each fi- each one of the five, um, for a couple of minutes quickly, if you don't mind, Ruth. Yeah, no problem. Um, so the first thing is to have an asthma action plan or, or a COPD communication card. And both of these can be downloaded from our website or from COPD website. So, And these are plans that will help you to manage your condition. And you basically have to take this plan to your GP and get them to fill it out with you, which is, and basically the plan tells you what to do when you're well, what to do when you're not so well and then what to do then when you get really ill. Um, so mm. there's a green zone, an orange zone and a red zone. And it's mm. all based around what medication you're on. Yeah, and would that help thing. you to kind of spot or be aware of kind of uh, the possibility of an oncoming attack? Correct, that's exactly it. And that's where, that's where the red zone is, is when you're actually in the oncoming attack. So the idea is that you actually act in the orange zone so to prevent yourself going into the red zone. So basically, it's, it's a tool for you that will actually help you to manage your condition yourself, that you're not always depending on get, having access to medical personnel. Now, of course, you still need access to medical people. So even, for example, in the orange zone, if you do have to increase your medication, you still need to contact your GP. But at least kind of it gives you the tool, right, this is the way I am now and I need to do this. Yeah, so and then the, the COPD communications card that you mentioned, what does that can it consist of? Again, it's, it's similar to the asthma action plan. It's the green zone, the orange zone, and the red zone. And what that, that's going to advise you kind of about t- things about increasing breathlessness, changes changes the colour of your sputum um, or your phlegm, you know, if it goes from being kind of creamy or white to being dirty green. So again, it's telling you what to do in that situation that hopefully will keep you out of hospital. Right, and both of those, um, you said you can download presumably from your own website, which is... Yes, asthma.ie, you can download the plans from there, yeah. Asthma.ie, that's grand. So that's that's the first thing. Um, I noticed the, the next one then is uh, is vaccination. Yes, your flu vaccine. So everybody should, that has asthma or COPD should have a flu vaccine, regardless of what age you are. Um, and as you know, this year, all children under the age of 12 are being offered a nasal flu vaccine not just mm. children that have asthma. So again, we would advise definitely if your child has asthma, you should definitely have that vaccine. Um, and right. everybody else then that has asthma or COPD should have it as well. Yeah, and um, obviously kind of asthma and COPD being fundamentally respiratory, anything that has a potential negative respiratory impact is going to is going to be well well worth uh, avoiding. Um, we'll get on to COVID-19 in a minute, but 
Um, people can be susceptible to pneumonia as well, onset of pneumonia at this time of year. Is there anything in particular that um, people who have asthma or COPD can do to to kind of protect themselves as, as best as possible against it? Yes, they can have the pneumonia vaccine. So again, this vaccine does not have to be given every year. So once you're under 65, you get it once. And then when you turn 65, then you get a second one. If you're over 65, then you just need to get the one injection. And provided if you've had one before, you have to wait five years between the two injections. But it's not like the flu jab where you have to get it every single year. The pneumonia injection is only, at the most, it's only going to be twice in your lifetime. So... And let's say if you're over 65, you only need the one injection. But that will protect you against the most common forms of pneumonia. It doesn't protect you against absolutely everything, but the most common community-acquired, what they call the community-acquired pneumonias, which are the most common ones. Yeah, that's that's available from GPs, presumably yes. free, is it? It is indeed, yeah. The pneumonia injection is available. If you have a medical card, you should be able to get it free. If you, have, if you don't have a medical card, you probably will have to... Um, pay the administration charge is usually the way mm, it's done. Mm. I know the flu vaccine is available in um, pharmacists a, a lot of places very, in a very widespread basis. Does that apply to the pneumonia one as well? or is it? No, not, actually, it's no, it's just the flu injection at the moment that's available in pharmacies. Okay, okay, so it's important people know that. Um, I did mention COVID-19, of course, just a minute ago, and needless to say, um, I assume that your advice would be for everybody to follow to the letter of the law, all the, the government guidelines, the NEFIT guidelines on COVID-19. Is there anything else that, pe that people with either asthma or COPD should be, should be doing or watching out for? Again, yeah, this is the third thing on our winter wellness plan. So again, as you rightly say, it's to follow all the, the social and distancing, the hand washing, the wearing the face mask, the hand hygiene is really important. Um, apart from that, just making sure that your asthma and COPD is really well controlled and you're taking your medication as prescribed by your doctor. That's the best thing you can do for yourself. Yeah, and, and Ruth, are there, uh, like, uh, this This may be something that some of the listeners may be wondering about and are kind of curious about myself. Um for, for people with asthma or COPD to be wearing masks all the time like I know they, they obviously do restrict your breathing a little bit which doesn't sound like as if it's a great idea at times for somebody with either asthma or COPD The recommendation is, is that you wear your mask um, there's no research out there to say that they are dangerous to people that have asthma and COPD now we do appreciate that not everybody can wear them but the majority of people can and you know even if it's only for going into the shops or wherever you know, it is really important that you wear it Again, just try out different ones. Don't be kind of thinking because you have tried the disposable one and you can't wear it. That doesn't mean you might be you might be able to wear a cotton one. So it is worthwhile trying out different masks to find the one that actually works best for you. Yeah, are there any particular ones that you'd recommend? No, as I say, it's the one that the person can wear. It's the one. And as I say, some people with asthma can wear the disposable ones fine, but they can't wear the cotton ones. And vice versa, some people can wear the cotton and not the disposable ones. So as I say, it is a matter of trial and Error. Right, right. And then the, the last one, I, I know you, you, you we mentioned um, weather and cold air particularly as, as a trigger and that's part of, uh, that's one the last one of your um, winter wellness tips as well. Yeah, cold air is a huge trigger this time of year. So the idea then is to try how are you going to manage that and how are you going to prevent it. You can't prevent it, but what you can do is when you are going out in the cold air, cover your mouth and nose with either a face mask if you can wear it or a light staff or a snood and wear it over but what will happen is then when you actually inhale the air when you breathe in try and breathe into your nose because that will actually warm the air going into your lungs so again if you can breathe, breathe into your nose the little hairs in your nose will actually warm the air 
and then when it gets to the lungs then it's not as cold so hopefully that will reduce your symptoms yeah and like at times like this at this time of year Ruth lots of people who like the bit of exercise love getting out um, for their daily walks or whatever cycles or whatever and and particularly it's enjoyable when it's kind of crisp and cold so the kind of the air is nice and dry Um, is there any difference then between a good cold dry air day and a cold kind of wetter kind of more humid day not particularly no it's just it's the cold air to be honest with you and it's just it's you know it doesn't matter it's usually whether it's a cold frosty day or whether it's a cold day like today where it's you know it's, it's damp and that it's just the cold air hitting the airways it just causes them to tighten up Grant, uh, see. So, um, all the information anyway about the, the winter wellness plan and the the uh, the, uh, the 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 asthma plan and the the uh, the COPD communications card and all they're all available on asthma.ie. Um, and if anybody needs to phone, is there a phone number that people can ring in for some advice or assistance on on the from the asthma society? Yeah, we have two services available. We have the WhatsApp messaging service, so you can send us a message using WhatsApp. And I'm going to give you the number now. And again, both these numbers are available on our website. But the number for the WhatsApp is 086-059-0132. And the nurse yep. will actually get back to you within three working days, well, whatever your query is. So it can be but anything to do with asthma or COPD. Absolutely anything at all, from trigger factors to medications to symptoms. So whatever, you know, you need advice on. Then the other thing then is we have a... Vice line, which is a telephone service. Again, both these services are free of charge. Uh-huh. So the number for the advice line is 1800 44 54 64. And when you ring that number, you will be able to book an appointment to speak to an asthma nurse or COPD nurse. Great, that's great. Thanks a million. Um, lovely to have you on the show today, Ruth, and very best wishes to yourselves and everybody uh, in the Asthma Society and indeed all of those hundreds of thousands of people who have either asthma or COPD. I hope everybody gets through the winter uh, safe and well and, of course, stays away from COVID. Thanks for joining us, Ruth. Okay, thanks very much. Have a a lovely weekend. Thank you. There you go. That was Ruth Morrow, who's a respiratory nurse specialist with the Asthma Society. And uh, the numbers she mentioned there, just in case, but repeat them quickly. 086-059-0132. That's the WhatsApp number. And she said that, that your nurse will get back to you within three working days from that number. Or indeed, the, the advice line is one 800 and uh, both are free, as Ruth mentioned. So um, it's now around about 24 minutes past five o'clock, well past time we took our first ad break on today's show. So do stay with us and we'll be back with the weather and uh, Kathleen Chada in just a couple of minutes time after these. Local Community Access Radio for Kilkenny City. This is Community Radio Kilkenny City on 88.7 FM. You're listening to Kilkenny Today with Morris O'Connor on Community Radio Kilkenny City, 88.7 FM. Welcome back. Now, the time we got, it's about 28, uh, coming on 29 minutes past five or thereabouts. It certainly is uh, on my phone up here in Raidstown. And thanks before we go any further to Declan Gibbons for running the desk for me today. Now, um, I was joined by a guest we were hoping to speak to last Tuesday afternoon, but we uh, had difficulty getting through. Um, Kathleen Chadder. Good afternoon, Kathleen. How are you? Good afternoon, Morris. Yeah, I'm, I'm here today. Apologies for Tuesday. <laughs> That's quite okay, Kathleen. I think it was a bit of difficulty at our end as well. It's lovely to have you on the show. Um, we've we've been hoping to talk to you for quite a while, Kathleen. So we're we're very pleased to be able to um, chat to you now. 
um, because I believe, like you, you, you've obviously been living with this issue um, of uh, the potential impact of parole legislation for a long, long time. Ever since your former husband was um, sentenced to to prison, with it, and yeah. had in mind that someday parole uh, might come into play in relation to his case, and you've now got a campaign running around um, the 2019 Parole Act and it not be, not actually being implemented yet. Um, could, before we get on to the whys and wherefores of why it mightn't be implemented, can can you just tell us what are what are the provisions of that act as as they would apply to or be relevant to your own case or people in a similar position to yourself? Absolutely. Well, I suppose the the headline part of it, um, which people people um, I suppose see initially, is that it yeah, currently as it stands. Any prisoner um, who has been get, or any perpetrator who's been given a life sentence can apply for parole from seven years. Um, and uh, the provision in the new act was that it would extend that seven years to twelve years. So um, no, nobody could apply, or a, a perpetrator can't apply until twelve years have been served. Um, but also, and, and more crucially, from my perspective, in that is, it actually recognises the victims. Um, in a way that isn't done at the moment. So currently, um, I get informed by the Irish Prison Service that um, Sanj, my, my ex-husband, um, is uh, applying for parole, and that he's engaging with the process, I think was the, the wording that was used, that he'd been informed that he was now eligible for parole and he was engaging in the process. So mm. um, I'm then invited um, to um, write to the parole board, um, I suppose similar to a victim impact statement. So why I feel that, um, uh, from my perspective, he shouldn't be um, uh, considered for parole at this time. So um, I, what the new act does is it allows for people to actually meet with the parole board directly. Again, at the moment, I can't meet with anybody from the parole board. I can only make a written submission. That written submission goes to the Irish Prison Service, who then forwards it to the Parole Board. Um, I suppose there's a sense from my perspective that there's a, a sort of a censorship, if you like, that goes on with that, because I know from other people, and including in, in my own case, I put a photograph of Owen and Rory at the top of the letter. I mm. did it because I wanted the Parole Board to see Owen and Rory not just a case file in front of them. Indeed, and I know indeed. of other families have done similar. Um, mm. and, and we have to censor ourselves because we're told very clearly that the perpetrator will be given access to whatever we write. Um, so we're, we're all of us, and, and I think it's the same for most people that I've spoken to who've been in this situation, we end up censoring ourselves in a way. Because you're mm. consciously thinking, well, what, what can I write? What can't I write? There are some people mm. who are very afraid to write because they don't know the consequences um, of the perpetrator reading that letter that may have an impact if the, the perpetrator has family in the area, for example. So just to, just to stop so, you there, Kathleen. Um, yeah. So the perpetrator, and in your case, your ex-husband, yeah. actually have the right and get to read any submission that you or anybody else might make yeah. in relation to their yeah. application for parole? Yes, they, they have that right. Um, it will be included in, in everything that they're given. But I don't have the right to see what he writes. I don't have the right to know why he feels justified 
in applying for parole at this stage. Yeah. So, and is, is that addressed in the new legislation to balance that apparent kind of unfairness? Yeah, it, it, we're allowed to meet with the parole board. So we can but meet with members of the parole board. It would be organised and set up that we would meet with members of the parole board and address them directly. Yeah, um, but still and we're all to, you still won't be able to see what see, he no. writes or why he wants to uh, no. avail of parole. We won't, we won't have yeah. that. But we will yeah. be um, entitled to legal representation for the first time. Yes, I was so going to ask you that because that yeah. I think has been brought in for for victims during the the trial process as well, isn't it? So yes. that it, like in your case, you you might have been able to avail of that if that had been in place back in um, whenever your ex husband went on trial. Um, I was very lucky um, that uh, my own solicitor was here, a local solicitor, um, was was very good and was very supportive throughout the process. But there was no entitlement, if you like, to that. So, um, uh, and one of the things, again, with the parole board, it will now be on a statutory basis going forward. So, in other words, they will have to take responsibility for their own um, recommendations or decisions. Currently, they make a recommendation to the Minister for Justice, and the Minister then has the final say, which, (laughs) in my mind, um, is is a little bit of a cop-out. Now, I have been in touch with the Borough Board and, and I absolutely respect the job that they do and they have been very respectful of me when I've been in touch. So, I'm, I'm you know, I, uh, mm-hmm. I won't criticise that in any way that the people that are, that are involved, but, I, I, you know, they do their best. I but suppose the process, if, if the final yeah. sign-off has been vested in the Minister, that's yes. just the law, but you, you'd hardly expect any Minister to have any particular insight above and beyond what the parole board would have and they'd hardly go against any recommendation of the parole yes. board you see you would very, hope they wouldn't anyway. very occasionally very occasionally yeah. they did. So he, he, um, he or she made it um, but it would be an unusual step for them yeah. to do so and um, um, Kathleen are, are you or any other victim in, in your position are you in any uh, way entitled to either to suggest or strongly or otherwise what be attached to somebody's um, to a perpetrator's um, parole if they were to be granted parole? Uh, again, what we would be hopeful for going forward is the opportunity to, well, one of the things that, uh, and this is where the legal representation would come, is to be um, able to extend a, an exclusion zone, if you like. That's one of the things that I would like, and I've spoken to, to somebody recently who, who's in a similar situation. Um, so that in my case, for example, that um, Sanj cannot come back into the Carlo area. This is my mm. home. This is my sanctuary. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. It's slightly different for me because he doesn't have family here. His family are all abroad. So um, it, it takes, a, it, I suppose, it's, a, it's easier almost, for want of a better word. But there are families out there where uh, the perpetrator and their, the perpetrator's family may be living close by. They may be in a small village, a town, you know, and and that's where it's important that the victims or the the families of victims are protected. Mm, I'm sure that happens Um, quite, yeah, you know, as well as I do, Ireland is a very small country, I'm sure that happens quite a lot. And it does, Um, and and it even happens to the extent, because what what can happen with the, so I'm quite confident that Sanj won't get parole in this particular instance. Um, it's only seven years, and, and the average in this country at the moment is is about eighteen years. Um, but I can tell you, at this stage, another eleven years <laughs> feels very close. But um, 
and maybe that'll it'll change as, as time yeah. goes on. And, yeah. and, and I mean, I've often talked about it as, as almost a, it's a fight, but it's ultimately a fight I will lose because I'm under no illusion he will eventually, whether it be 18, 20, 22 years, he will eventually um, be released into the community. And yeah, prior to that, there's a build-up to it. So there's there's the preparation, if you like. So there's, I suppose you know, there may be there may be a prospect. I don't know whether it's it's possible within the law that he would be either asked or told to leave the country altogether. But that that would only apply probably to your case and to very very few yeah. others. I think the general very issue. Too. Oh, still, still remains. Um, yeah. And just back to the the legal side of it, Kathleen. Like I know you have an uplift. Dot um, ie campaign going on or petition that yeah. you're asking people to sign, and yeah. it's around the provisions of the Parole Act 2019 not being implemented yet. And you've you've outlined where it has improved on previous legislation to us a few minutes ago. Um, do you have any sense of why it is? I mean, there's no. I can't think of any reason why anything like that shouldn't actually be put into play or put actually enacted. In, well, it's enacted it legally, but implemented. Yeah. Implemented. Why? I, I personally, I think it's it's um, it's political will number one and finance number two. So it is in. I mean, I suppose there was a reassurance when the new government was formed. It is in the program for government, um, but it's it's a very loose. Um, time scale on it is as soon as possible I think is what it is um, and there have been uh, funds allocated as far as I understand from the Department of Justice um, to the establishment but again there's no time frame so mm. that's the part I suppose that, that, that I find really really frustrating at this stage um, if I knew that by the end of 2021 this was going to be in place or that it was going to be 2023 I wouldn't be happy <laughs> But at least, you know, it wouldn't feel that it's just sitting on somebody's desk waiting to be picked up, if you like. Um, yeah. I have written to, to Minister McEntee. Um, I, I've not had a response. Um, I suppose I was writing to her in relation to the, the recent Children's Act as well, but um, I haven't had a, a response other than to acknowledge the, the receipt of, the, um, of the, the, my email. Um, so I'm hoping... You know, mm. she will. Mm. She will be in contact. Um, I know, from a political perspective, this obviously was was Jim O'Callaghan's bill, um, and I know he has been working in as much as he can behind the scenes to to have it implemented. But his hands are somewhat tied, um, and uh, and that. So it is really at this point in time, it's just about pushing the button and let and and, and you know having it happen. There yeah. is work that yeah. has to happen. There is. Mm. Um, I suppose the establishment, it's, it's effectively establishing a, a whole new board of sorts. I know they've talked about having to get premises, etc. But, you know, I kind of can't think... Be that, can't be that expensive can't be that in the of things, given the amount of money that can be found for all sorts of things at the moment. Exactly. And, and Kathleen, you, I'm glad you mentioned uh, one thing you did mention there a second ago, the, um, the concern you have about the, the Children Act. Because if I've yeah. got this right, there was some, I think, a court of appeal decision recently that was around about the naming of um, child uh, victims and possibly even perpetrators of uh, of criminal um, of, of crimes and the uh, the uh, you know decision I think a ruling that that they should in certain circumstances they shouldn't be named and uh, it's around protection of both I suppose the victims and indeed um, an accused accused persons um, like how, obviously that wasn't in place um, in, in the case when your ex-husband went on trial in, um, in theory what, it was 
Um, yeah, because it, what, what has happened is it's a piece of legislation in the Children's, Children's Act 2001, Section 252. Um, I make myself sound very legal-esque there, but um, it, it's a, a paragraph that basically it was a piece of legislation that was there to protect children, and particularly children that may have been victims of abuse, so that they wouldn't be named. And the perpetrator, for example, might have been a relative or somebody known within a community, or, you know, by naming the, the perpetrator, it would therefore identify the child. So that's what it was there for, I suppose, in, in, in originally. Mm. And it has been used, I suppose, um, by the DPP, which is slightly unusual, I, I would have thought, um, in a particular case um, where, where there was a, a mother who had been found not guilty by reason of insanity, and uh, it was that legislation was used to not name her in the media because it would therefore name the... Name her. Um, name her, her child. Yeah, yeah. Um, so it was... It was I, I can't even say that it was misused because it wasn't misused. It was actually used in, if you take that piece of legislation quite literally. But what it did do was highlighted something that my fear for something like that would be that um, it could be misused mm. by other perpetrators um, in, in all sorts of situations. And as Jim O'Callaghan himself said, it could even be used to stop adult victims of child abuse being you know, giving up their anonymity, which some will choose to do. Yeah, um, in, in, so like in your in your case, it would have meant that um, the the media couldn't have named mm. your yeah. children, and therefore your ex husband's name wouldn't have been um, publicised, or indeed probably your own either. And, and, that, and it, that's it would have kept it. the whole I, thing very private and quiet. Yeah. Like, really I couldn't have I couldn't have this conversation with you. Yeah, yeah. That's the reality. I couldn't mm -hmm. speak out because. Um, for me to speak out um, would have meant, um, you know, naming my ex-husband. I could have called him my ex-husband, but then I couldn't be named because all mm. of that ultimately would have named Owen and Rory. Um, yeah. And, you know, I, I, that's, that's wrong. That's it does just, seem, yeah, yeah, mistaken know, anyway, whatever wrong. was the original um, thought behind it. Yeah. Uh, um, and it was never meant to be used that way. That's, I suppose, mm, mm. what I will say. And I know that um, um, Jim O'Callaghan and Jennifer Maline O'Connor are have have drafted or amend an amendment to that. So it should be going through the doll. Mm, I mm. hope it will be but going through this week, but it will yeah. be going through quite soon to change that yeah. and amend it. We better we better leave the conversation yeah. there, if you don't mind, Kathleen. We're getting running a bit short on time. Look, it's yeah. been um, a pleasure. I know the circumstances are awful, and you've been living with awful mm. circumstances for the last um, years since Seven 2013 years, yeah. and um, yeah he's continuing to have it if you have that parole on your ex-husband hanging over yeah. you regardless of the way whether the new act is implemented or not so yeah. um, but thanks a million for joining us and, and telling us all. about that and hopefully um, lots of people will support um, the, the campaign and you'll get the best possible outcome you I can and maybe you'll be less unhappy if not more happy yes no and, and thank you and thank you for, for supporting us indeed you're very welcome Kathleen thank you Thank you. Take care. So that was uh, that was Kathleen Chada there, of course, whose ex-husband Sanjeev uh, murdered her two children, Owen and Rory, back in 2013. And uh, her concern is around the implementation of the Parole Act 2019 and what effect that might have on her husband's or ex-husband's uh, application for parole. Now it's uh, just about quarter to six. We better take another ad break and we'll be back 
in a couple of minutes' time with a change of subject, we'll be talking to Tommy Dowling and Eva Anderson from Young Irish Filmmakers uh, about a series of masterclass workshops that they're going to have for young people leading up to Christmas. So do stay with us. We'll be back in a couple of minutes' time just after these. Community Radio for Kilkenny City on 88.7 FM. You're listening to Community Radio Kilkenny City. You're listening to Kilkenny Today with Morris O'Connor on Community Radio Kilkenny City, 88.7 FM. Now, welcome back to the last part of today's show. It's just two six or there thereabouts anyway up here in Raidstown. Um, if you were looking at the Kilkenny People's website, you might see a headline saying Dream Stuff Theatre hosts a number of online workshops in run-up to Christmas. And uh, reading down through it, if you'd been to any Dream Stuff productions over the years, you think, oh, that looks exactly like a Dream Stuff program blurb and uh, promo material. I've seen so many of them over the years because uh, my own children were involved in uh, Dream Stuff Youth Theatre and Young Irish Filmmakers over the years. But joining us to talk about that and why the, the article has been written in the Kilkenny People at the moment are Tommy Dowling and Aoife Anderson, both from Young Irish Filmmakers and Dream Stuff Youth Theatre. So good afternoon, guys. How are you? Uh, good, Morris. How are you? How's things? I'm I'm very well indeed. That's Tommy by the sound of things. Tommy Dowling and Aoife Anderson. Aoife, are you with us as well? Are you with us too, Aoife? I don't see her on the clean feed. She may not have made it. Well, um, she'll come. In, she'll <laughs> come in. Well, she'll be welcome to join in anyway. In anyway. It'd be good. Good to have her. Anyway. Tommy, you can tell us. There's a there's a series. This is advertising a series of masterclass workshops for young people. Um, uh, that, that, that you guys, that you guys are organising. I suppose the first, the basic thing is, well, where did where did the idea come the idea from? Come from? Uh, yeah, so, uh, well, we've been operating as uh, Dream Stuff Youth Theatre for the last three years. Um, I know, as you say, there's been, um, there, there, was a ver- uh, there was an iteration of it before attached to the Irish filmmakers um, that um, kind of wound up and uh, we restarted it about three years ago. Uh, myself and Mike Kelly and Aoife Anderson has been working with us um, last year or so um, with a good group of young people putting together plays, kind of focusing on improvising and devising. Um, and then uh, this year, uh, as most things, uh, we got kind of disrupted with the lockdown and COVID and we had to kind of look at how we would readdress our services or how we do things differently. Um, so in kind of working, doing our online workshops um, on, on Zoom chats and that, we thought we hit on the idea of we put together a kind of a program of, uh, well, masterclasses. We could reach out to some people who we'd worked with before who might have come up through um, the organization and uh, I suppose kind of partly sharing their, their knowledge and their skills of working in the industry. And because we're not restricted to having to work inside a physical space in certain times or whatever, it kind of let us open it out to a wider audience. Mm. Um, mm. And any kind of young people in town who might be interested in, or not, well, not even in town, I guess, uh, anywhere in the country. Who anywhere in the world, Tommy. Anywhere across the world. Yeah, I guess, you're right. Uh, must <laughs> exactly right. I, before, uh, we for, before we forget... Before we forget, Tommy, because um, we might we may run out of time, I, I noticed from the your uh, Dream Stuff Youth Theatre's Facebook page that the first starts tomorrow. So um, you better tell us how people can sign up if there are still places. Yeah, absolutely. Um, there's still a few places going. Uh, the workshops are free. Just uh, I may have forgotten to mention that one because um, like with Dream Stuff Youth Theatre, part of the philosophy is everything is free and accessible. But sign up. Uh, very simple. You can drop us an email at dreamstuffyouththeatre at gmail.com 
or if you go onto our Facebook page, we have uh, a post there with the workshop and a link to a registration form. Um, usually we like to do drop-in and stuff, but with Zoom it's important that we have pre-registrations just so we can send details and links to people and stuff. So that's streamstuffyouththeatre at gmail.com or facebook.com forward slash dreamstufftheatre. James Stuff Youth Theatre, I'm, I'm looking at it here on the screen in front of me. So you've got uh, four workshops on four uh, successive Saturdays starting tomorrow. So l let's just talk about the workshops um, themselves and what idea and the kind of strand that runs through them is. The first one tomorrow is is around concept development. Um, so how, do, how does that work? What's, what are the people going to find out about yeah, of course. Um, so we have um, a lady by the name Phoebe Moore is going to be facilitating that for us. Um, she's a Dublin-based actress and producer, and um, it's basically just uh, I suppose the hardest part with coming up with or with doing any kind of creative process is coming up with your initial idea and how to develop that from whatever the idea might be, you know, a title or um, a line uh, into a fully realised player production. Um, so Aoife's, or Phoebe's going to go through ways of like kind of coming up with inspiration, different creative tools you can use, and then um, how to put a structure and a flow onto ideas, as well as like the very simple thing of having confidence in them. I suppose it's very important to, to kind of mm. trust your ideas and go with them. Uh, we also then, because uh, we kind of put a flow onto the workshops, then we want to, uh, even uh, though you can sign up for one or all four, um, uh, the idea is I suppose if you go through all four, you'd be equipped to produce your own uh, work in the end. Um, so the second one then we're doing uh, script writing with John Morton, um, who many listeners might know, maybe they don't. Uh, he's uh, a acts and writes in Dublin primarily. So he's going to be um, going through how to write a script with people, um, dialogue, formatting, um, structure, that sort of thing, as well as a bit of professional advice uh, from his perspective, I great, suppose. Great. I believe, um, sorry to interrupt have, um, you there, Tommy, I, I believe we have Aoife on the line now, do we? Can you hear me? Yes, indeed, yes. we can. Yay! Fantastic. <laughs> sorry, I was having a bit of difficulty there. I was like, am I on the call? Am I not on the call? Uh, but I was actively listening, and Tommy, you're doing a fantastic job at you're describing, very, well, so very I don't even think I need the, uh, to be here. You're very much on the call <laughs> oh, anyway, Ethan, and it's great to have you with us. We were just, uh, Tommy was just talking us through the the first uh, couple of workshops, the concept yeah. development and script writing. And as he was talking about concept development, um, be, even before he mentioned the name jo John Morton, um, John's name immediately sprang to mind because we did have John on the show a couple of weeks ago talking about um, his series that he's written, Dead Still, and uh, exactly about that, the whole idea of taking it from a kind of a, a vague concept out of an interest that he had in Victorian photography, um, weird Victorian photography of that, and through to all the way through to actually getting it on screen as a, as a final series and indeed even looking at um, series two of the whole thing. So it, it's a, it, it works, the whole idea, that the flow that you've put together. So we're kind of on from script writing. Sorry, did I interrupt you there, Tommy? I don't know if you want to come in again. No, or you're okay, Morris. Um, it's good to know Aoife's here. Um, she is the engine that keeps stream stuff moving. Um, <laughs> I was and I will continue to be lost without her help. Uh, so... Uh, but yeah, I suppose the yeah. Well, following on from script writing, then we have uh, Neve Maroney, another Kilkenny uh, native. Uh, I'm sure a lot of people are familiar with her. She's the director of the Alternative Kilkenny Arts Festival. She's currently based in Brussels, where she runs a um, successful comedy night. Um, was it Joyeux et Danger? I think she mm -hmm. calls it in French. And uh, she's also um, been producing some online work throughout the lockdown that's appeared in the Galway Arts Festival 
uh, with uh, Esther Nemse uh, called Speak Like uh, No One Can Hear You. It's quite an interesting piece, um, kind of devised online. Uh, and Neve's going to be going through the process of how to produce work, how to make a living with it. Um, Basically, yeah, how do you get your show from from paper onto onto stage or onto Zoom or wherever it's going to be going to be performed like that? And um, speaking of performance, then the last workshop is being facilitated by uh, John Doran, who uh, has worked with uh, various companies around the country, Fishamble, uh, mostly in theatre and development, and he's going to be covering performance skills um, with people and just kind of you know different tips and. Uh, tricks and again because uh, hoping to be able to bring some of that experience from uh, I suppose a life of working in the creative arts to give some mm. advice to people on mm. who are looking to pursue that so all three uh, all three and uh, indeed I'm sure John Morton himself would be there in spirit if not in person as far as the works up but all uh, certainly uh, I know uh, John Doran and Neve Moroni have seen them plenty of times and um, actually I was lucky enough to their very last bit of live theatre I saw I think the day the lockdown was starting back in March I was up I saw John Doran on stage up in the Abbey Theatre with another ex um uh, alumni of uh, Dream Stuff Youth Theatre, Eddie Murphy, in, in a production yeah. up there. Um, so you're you're um, yeah, you're you're, you're the engine before. behind all of this, Eva. So what what are you going to be doing while all these workshops are going on? Oh, I'm, well, I think it's definitely a collaborative effort. I wouldn't say the engine is on my end, um, but we we definitely kind of tried to put a structure and a format on it that would be accessible to everybody. So, like, if there was anybody listening that was like, oh, I don't know, I kind of have a couple of ideas that I would like to bring to life. Or it could be the alternative where there's there's no ideas because it can be really hard at the moment, especially when we're not going to plays or we're not, I suppose, although we have everything um, to our to our availability online now, it's, it's hard to be inspired. Um, mm. So just trying to find that balance that anybody can join these workshops and get involved and get creating so it's open i'm sure tommy has said this already to 13 to 18 year olds so aimed at people in secondary schools who want to possibly whether it's an interest in creative writing whether it's uh, like producing work whether it's uh, performing to be able to understand all aspects from when something starts with the seed of an idea which phoebe moore will be starting with you can get inspired by anything or you might have some experiences that you want to create um, and bring to life and then bringing it all the way through to John Doran who who will look at how that can be portrayed. And mm. well, hopefully hopefully also, I don't know whether it's going to be factor into it. We're going to have to leave you with this, guys, but uh, it'll include some uh, illustration or insight into maybe how you get the money to put these things together because I know any any production worth its salt is going to need a, a little bit of cash put behind it or else a huge amount of cash, one or the other. Um, but it sounds like as if they're fascinating uh, workshops and uh, I'm sure there'll be plenty of 13 to 18-year-olds looking forward to joining in with them. Dream Stuff Youth Theatre on Facebook is one way to, to book yourselves in. Obviously, but thanks a million, guys, for for joining us. I'd love to have had more time to talk to you, but unfortunately, time is uh, just about to run out on me. Um, I hope they're a great success, and we'll get the next um, we'll get the next John Morton or indeed Neve Moran, indeed uh, Stephen Colfer or Tom Moore out of them. They're yeah. in the works anyway. We'll see what happens. Yeah, well, thanks very much for um, having us, Morris. And just ha before we go, we have to thank um, SCCA, St. Cannes Community Action, our parent organisation, who've given us so much um, support and um, a very welcoming home the last couple of years as we do our work with the young people of Kilkenny. 
And no doubt that includes the legendary uh, Mike Kelly as well, whom all of us know very, very well. Absolutely. Thanks a million for joining us, guys. Take care. Perfect. Thank you so much, Mark. Okay. Thanks very much. You're very bye, welcome. Bye, bye. And that's all we've time for on today's Kilkenny Today. Thanks indeed to Declan Gibbons for running the desk for me, to uh, Tommy Dowling and Eva Anderson there, to Kathleen Chadder for joining me earlier on, and then to Ruth Morrow also from the Asthma Society of Ireland. Uh, I look forward to being back with you again on Tuesday. In the meantime, have a lovely weekend and do stay safe and well and out of the way of that dreaded COVID. Take care of yourselves and back with you on Tuesday. We are Community Radio, Kilkenny City, 88.7 FM.